Tonight I want to speak, this morning we spoke a little bit about the Holy Spirit, just quickly, and, uh, and tonight we, I really have it on my heart to, to talk to you about hunger and the desire for more. I mean, I've, I've heard recently someone made the comment and said that he doesn't really like it when people say we want more of you, Lord, as if the Lord is not doing enough. I'm thinking, man, every time I say more, Lord is that I realize that there's more in God. I see His magnificence. I realize whatever He's revealed to me is scratching the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much more in God that we have access to, but we somehow feel that we are not worthy to receive that. And uh, so I just want to read one or two scriptures, and then I'll share a testimony. Um, John 3 verse 30 says, and here is what a lot, of, a lot of Christians misquote this. They, John the Baptist is here saying, he must increase, I must decrease. A lot of people do that the other way around and says, I must decrease and he must increase. Now you might say, well, that's more or less the same. It's not the same at all. You see, if, if I'm full of myself and I try to empty myself to become empty and I'm emptying myself so that God can fill me up. You know, I decide how much I pour out. But if he increases, if I'm, even if I'm full of myself and he starts pouring himself into me, what happens is everything that is me, is like if you take a glass of water and you put like red dye in it and you've got to get it out or you've got to take, the, you put sand in it and you've got to get it out. You can't really put your hand into the glass and empty out all the sand or take the red coloring out. But what you can do is hold it under a steady stream of water and just keep on filling, keep on pouring that thing in until it washes out the impurities and you'll never be empty. I don't believe that the Lord wants us to be empty. I believe the Lord wants us to be full. And sometimes we go about, so here is this thing that John the Baptist says, he must increase. Increase means he must become more. So it's okay for you to want more. It's actually biblical. It's John the Baptist says it's the only way that you are going to become less like yourself if you become more like Jesus. If you have more of the Spirit of God, it's the best thing that can happen to you is having more of God. It's good for you. It's good for your husband. It's good for your wife. It's good for your kids. It's good for the people around you. And it's wonderful for lost people if you are not full of yourself but full of God. Amen? So here John the Baptist says, He must increase, I must decrease. And I want to read further. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly ways. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. John the Baptist is now talking about Jesus. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For him God has sent, utters the words of God, For he, Jesus, gives the Spirit without measure. Without measure. So I don't don't mean it rudely, but I, I don't care how much you think you have of God. There's more. And if you don't realize that, you're going to be stuck and you're going to have to settle with what you have. And I don't believe that's really God's plan for us. Because the only way that we are going to become more like Jesus, the only way that Jan is going to become more like Jesus is if Jan is less like Jan. 
And yarn less like yarn and more like God is good for everyone. It's the best news for everyone. Say to the person next to you, but say it sincerely and mean it in love, that you full of God is better for everyone. Okay. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16, it says, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thus the encounter of fullness. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image. The same image of what? The same image of the glory of God. The same image. Not a different image, not a lesser image. That as we behold Him with unveiled faces, that we are being transformed. We are being transfigured from glory to glory and from one degree of glory to another. Do you think that's decreasing glory or more? More. So I want to, if you feel, I don't want to be a glutton. Uh, I've got enough. Maybe there's someone else that leads God more than me. God's got more than enough. God doesn't decrease when he gives. So God's not running out of the spirit as he hands out to you. So you don't have to be mild-mannered and you don't rather give it to someone else, God. God's got enough for you. And he doesn't run out. He is eternal in all of his ways. And if you have experienced him in one way, let it bring you to a place that say, God, you're more. You are more than I imagined. You are more than I imagined. And here's it. I want all of what God has to offer. Because that is my inheritance. That is part of why Jesus died. Jesus did not die on the cross for your sin and your shame, didn't, bought, didn't buy salvation at such a dear price so that we can settle for a little bit. So I want to release you from the mild-manneredness and say, oh, it's okay. I'm, I'm encouraging you tonight that wherever you are in the Lord, there's more. There's more. And uh, many people have asked me, Jan, so how do you, and I've often asked the question, how do you create hunger? How do you become hungry for more? Why don't we, why do we settle into places of complacency? I believe that it's great to be content with what God has done for us. But there's a difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment says I'm satisfied with what I'm having now and I'm grateful for what God has given me. But it releases you to say, God, you've given me so much. I love it so much. I want more of you. Complacency says, I got what I got from God and I'm happy with it and I don't want any more. I was speaking to a guy the other day and he, I was speaking about the issue of reward. That uh, Paul, the apostle Paul says that he's laying no other foundation that was already laid, which is Christ Jesus, but each man must be careful how he builds. Then he mentions the, the building materials of wood, uh, straw and hay and gold, silver and, and precious stones. And then he says that each one's work will be tested in the day of fire and based on whether it withstands the test of fire, we will either receive reward or suffer loss. Yet if we suffer loss, we will still be saved, but only as through fire. 
So it's not our salvation that's at stake, it's reward. And this guy said to me, and I also quoted that Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust decays, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. In other words, it's, God says, Jesus said, store it up. You're going to need it. You're going to love what you're storing up. And this guy said, Jan, I really don't care about reward. I just want to be with Jesus. And I said, have you seen the reward? No. He says, do you have any idea what it is? He said, no. I said, I don't either, but I know if it's God, it's going to be great. And to, to, to disregard re- reward that Jesus tells us is going to be amazing <laughs> just because we think that we're not worthy? Wow. Isn't that kind of arrogant? God, I don't want your reward. A lot of people handle the gifts as well like that. Oh, the gifts of the Spirit. We don't really need them. You know, it's like those are the extras. You know, those are the optional extras for the crazy people. For the extroverts and the happy clappies. Are you happy clappies? Are you happy? Do you clap your hands? You're happy clappies. Okay. Wonderful. Okay, so... So the Lord wants to take us from one degree of glory to another. He wants to, to give us, He wants us to increase. He wants to bring an increase in our life. So it's okay to want more. In fact, when Jesus tells the parable of the talents, He gives talent to each person. The people had to work with the talents. They had to use it. And as they used it, they got more. It increased. What did the master say when he came back? Well done. Good and faithful servant. They took what God, what the master gave them, they took a chance with it. They risked. Because the guy that didn't risk, say, man, I, I know you. You're a hard guy. I mean, if I lost this stuff, I would have been in trouble. So I, I went and I got a stone. And I put it under a stone and, and used it back. And the master said, you useless servant. Useless. And the ones that actually worked with what God gave them, that was faithful in the little, what did he say? If you're faithful in the little, you have been faithful in the little, now I will appoint you over much more. So it's okay. It's biblical, and I think utterly godly for us to expect and to desire more of God. Amen? So I'm not going to... It's not that we're unhappy with God. It's like we're so happy with God that we want more. <laughs> I think to, to think that what you have experienced and have at this moment is adequate and enough is not seeing God for who He is. Because He's much, much more. Amen? Now, how do, how do, you, how do you develop or cultivate this hunger? I believe that the first... The first thing, the first thing that where you get hunger is, hunger is a gift from God. We, we are going to look at, at, at something that we can do, but firstly and foremostly, we need to understand that hunger, that desire for Him, is a gift that God gives us. He places it in the heart of men. I want to tell you that when, when I got saved, I was not looking for God. I was not desiring God. I was married to this wonderful woman who was a Christian. She prayed for me. And I didn't look after God. I wasn't searching after God. 
In fact, I was going overseas. Uh, we got pregnant. That was before, okay? That was before I was saved, okay? So, say again? Yes, we were married. Wendy just wanted me to, to mention that. We were married. Okay, so... We were married. I wasn't saved. She was praying like crazy. I wasn't seeking after God. So I decided, and I was a very, before I got saved, I was a very rational guy. You know, if, it, if, it, if I couldn't, if Jan couldn't figure it out in his brain, then it wasn't real. And if anyone would talk about anything supernatural, I would think they were from the loony bin. You know, like, And I just, everything and every, when Wendy would talk to me, she grew up Pentecostal and uh, she was baptized when she was seven and baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues when she was seven. And, uh, but I wasn't interested. In fact, I was very negative and very blasphemous and very arrogant with regards to anything that was Christian. I decided that I, although I grew up in a Christian home, um, I decided that if I couldn't figure out God, that simply means that he doesn't exist. How arrogant is that? You know? But that was that. So I decided I'm going to go overseas and find myself. And Wendy, gracious as she was, she heard from the Lord. She said, let him go. Praise God. <laughs> so uh, through miraculous provision, I was able to go on a six weeks overseas, bicycle, uh, went bicycling in, in Europe with a friend, and I wasn't seeking after God, not at all. I was seeking after pleasures and parties and whatever I had to do to find myself. So uh, later on, Wendy had, I had a little diary that I had to write in, and later on when I read in the diary, I was like, did I write this? I was talking about God the whole time. I don't know what I was doing. The God that I didn't believe in. I was writing in this little book about God. But I think maybe I was trying to impress Wendy. So because I wasn't seeking after God, but I wrote things about God. But then about three weeks in, I was miserable because I found that I wasn't overseas. So I didn't find myself. So I wasn't there. So now I was missing Wendy and I was missing my great life with my wife. And I wasn't happy. I was miserable. The beer was bitter. <laughs> Nothing was nice. So one morning, 3 o'clock, I was in tears. I phoned her from Oslo in Norway. I said, I want to come home. And woman of God that she is, she says, No, you wanted to go for six weeks. Stay the course. <laughs> So now I was even rejected from the people in South Africa. The rest of the three weeks was a living hell. So eventually I got home and we stayed in Oatshorn at that stage. And, and when we got to Cape Town, where all our friends were, I said to Wendy, man, I don't want to see my friends. I want to go back to Oatshorn because I believe that something there is waiting for me. So we drove back, which was strange for me to say. And uh, one evening we were, we were back and uh, I said these words. Wendy, won't you run us a bath of water? I want to cleanse myself. And I said, cleanse myself? Weird word. 
And then I said, oh yes, and you can put on some of your music. Because she had her music, and I had my music. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> so, the bathroom light was off. The passage light was on. I got into the bath. Wendy was in the kitchen. She wasn't with me yet. And the next moment, I was in a place. Firstly, that freaked me out because that wasn't in my frame of reference. Those kind of stuff didn't happen. At first, I thought I was dreaming, and I said to myself, Jan, wake up. Don't be stupid and drown in the bath. You know? And then I found out that I, I could actually, when I wanted to be in the bathroom, I could be in the bathroom, but when I was in the bath and just relaxed, I was in this other place. And now, you must know that this freaked me out completely because this was not, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I wasn't sure where I was. Later on, I read some stuff in the Bible that I, that I saw. But when I was in this vision, I had no clue where I was. And, but it, it felt, okay, I'm still in control. I can be in the bathroom. I can be in, the, in this place. So if I feel uncomfortable or something weird happens, I'm just going to get back into the bathroom. So... The picture that I saw is that I was sitting on a white horse and there was a man sitting, or a male figure, I think. He had hairy arms. I hope it wasn't a woman with hairy arms. But <laughs> I know. It was someone sitting behind me and he held me and we were going on a white horse. And, and I looked down and, and, the, and the streets were cobbled stones, but it wasn't cobble, cobbled stones. It was cobbled stones, but it was made of gold. And then I looked to my left and on my left there was a body of water. Or it was either a sea or a lake. But as I looked at it, it seemed it was too bright. And then I looked closer and it looked like crystal. Which I later read about the sea of crystal. In the book of Revelation. And we were going on this road and on the right hand side there were these huge figures. They looked like males and they had silver trumpets. And uh, so we went on this road and I was looking around and feeling and just checking every now and again, okay, can I get back into the bathroom? I don't want this to get weirder than it is already. <laughs> so we came to a banqueting table. We turned, made a right turn. We got to a U-shaped table and there were people feasting. And uh, so we got to where I think the head of the banquet would be. And now I was trying to look up and see who is the head of the banquet. Who is this person? And as I started looking up, this person just got bigger and bigger and I couldn't see his face. Now, in this process, the person that was on the horse got me. He picked me off the horse. He stood next to me. And then he said these words. Father, this is Jan that I've been telling you about. Now I knew where I was. For the first time I realized that I was, I was, standing, I was standing in an open-ended vision. I was standing in the presence of God. For someone who didn't believe in God, it rushed through my head. My upbringing in a very traditional church. That if, I ever, if God was real and I would stand before him. I would not be accepted. I would feel incredibly ashamed 
of all the stuff that I did, of all the stuff that I said about him, and I really felt that I wouldn't feel at home. But it was exactly the opposite. I don't think that, no, I don't think, I know that I've never in my whole life felt so accepted. I've never in my whole life felt so loved. And strangely, I felt unashamed. And it felt like I belong. And there was so, I don't want to shock you now, and I don't want to pull the carpet from under you, but I didn't say the sinner's prayer at that stage. But I knew at that moment, I knew that somehow he saved me. Without me looking for him, without me searching for him, I think it had something to do with my wife's prayers. And my mom's prayers and her sister's prayers. But in that moment, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was saved. And when he came into the bathroom, incidentally, the song that she put up was an old Ray Bolt song, Here Comes a Miracle. <laughs> Which if you make, ever make a movie of that, beside this, the bath scene, it's just going to be a cheesy song. <laughs> but it was really, it was a miracle. Wendy came into the bathroom and the bathroom was sort of dark. And she said it looks as if a light was shining from my face. And my wife immediately knew without me saying anything. She said, thank you God for saving him. You can take him now. I'll raise this baby by myself. <laughs> This great woman of faith was sure God could save me but not keep me. <laughs> for, the next, for the next six hours, five to six hours, I was either broken down with sorrow for sin and weeping. And the next moment just felt the burden of that sin lifted. And I would be laughing with freedom, just so grateful the sin has been taken away. And that lasted for about really four to six hours. And, and later on it was so bad that I, I actually thought I was having a nervous breakdown because my emotions were just either weeping or ecstatically joyful, weeping with sorrow for sin, ecstatically joyful that I've been set free. And uh, I phoned about everybody that I knew uh, to tell them that God saved me. Some of my friends found it hard to believe. Wendy's grandfather, really a beautiful man of God, used to tell me Meltari stories. Meltari is a revivalist in the Indonesian. And I was all, always bored out of my skull by <laughs> Meltari's <laughs> stories. And uh, to such an extent that he actually told Wendy that uh, he believes that God can save everybody but not Jan. <laughs> so from that moment until the day that he died, whenever he saw me, <laughs> we cried. Um, for the next for the next six months, I couldn't sleep for more than two to three hours a night. 
I would go to bed. I would wake up two to three hours later, wide awake, with this incredible hunger. I just wanted to know more about God. I think in that time I read the Bible through, I don't know how many times, but for, I mean, five hours a night, right through the night. The next day I would go to work, I would not be tired. And that lasted for about six months. This incredible hunger. I mean, I read everything that I could get my hands on, some good stuff. Somebody in their wisdom gave me Rebecca Brown. He came to set the captives free. Who of you read that book? I was so scared. <laughs> I closed all the windows. <laughs> and I just read everything that I could get my hands on. I was just watching every DVD. Sorry, not DVDs. We still had videotapes. Uh, everything that I could lay my hands on. And there was just this incredible hunger that it almost... I couldn't wait to go to sleep because I couldn't wait to wake up because I couldn't wait to be with God. And I wish I could tell you that that lasted until today, but it didn't. So I received the gift of hunger, but I did not steward the gift of hunger. I, I thought it would just be with me forever. I, I just thought, well, this is... I couldn't understand that people didn't want to go to church. I couldn't understand that they didn't want four or five meetings a week. I mean, it's so natural. This is the way it is. And I, and I didn't steer with that and went to a Bible school, wonderful Bible school, spirit-filled, and got so involved in, started loving the Word so much that I, I searched the Scriptures, but I stopped finding Jesus. In a spiritful, very spiritual, apostolic, foundational church, really, really great church, really great Bible school. We studied the miracles of Jesus. We did the Gospels. We did everything that a good Bible school should do. And I got so caught up in searching the Scriptures that in them I stopped finding Jesus. I stopped finding I stopped coming to him, and I started going to the scriptures, and it was wonderful, and I, I really appreciate the training that I got there, and I got very involved in theology, and, which is great, but not at the expense of encountering Jesus. Um, and it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't, it wasn't the Bible school's fault. It was my fault, because I was feeding my own hunger, but it really wasn't a hunger from God. And I didn't realize how the hunger went away. It's like almost, you know, when, when Samson, when the Spirit of God left him and he didn't even realize. I still felt the power when I worshipped. I still felt the emotion sometime. But slowly but surely, I was becoming drier and drier and drier. And the thing is, because I didn't see with my hunger, and I was surrounded by other people that were hungry for the things of God and the things of the Spirit, I started becoming critical of the other people that were hungry. The other people that were experiencing God, I took the Bible and started bashing them. And from a person that met the Lord supernaturally, I became a person that preached from the pulpit against the work of the Spirit. And I thought I was zealous. I thought I was, I was really, I was God's gift to the church. I was thinking God has, 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 has called me to criticize a work of the Spirit. 
And I want to tell you that I, just as much I love the work of the Spirit now, I really spoke about it and I've repented several times of what I said during that time. Until one day, and I was dry as a bone, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't feel like being in ministry anymore. I was tired. I was burnt out. Our marriage was on the rocks. Um, and the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, Jan, how did I save you? And I said, God, supernaturally, you, you saved me. And he said, so you need to return to that. You need to return to a life that celebrates the work of the Holy Spirit because that's how I saved you. Through my spirit, I took you into an open vision and I brought you to a place that you didn't seek for. And I gave you a hunger. You need, you need to steal with that hunger because that hunger will go. That hunger will go with pride and arrogance and criticism and fault finding. That hunger will go. And I repented of that and the Lord brought me back. And, and, and the hunger was back. And stuff started happening again and I was full of life. And then church politics happened. I know it's, you don't have church politics in East London. I, I realized it's a Cape Town phenomenon. But we had some of that. And in the midst of whenever God was releasing something and whenever God was feeding the hunger that I had for Him, whenever that happened, there was something that would happen in the natural that would throw me off. It would either be a dispute in leadership. It would be a financial situation. It would be a crisis in a family. It would be, and it became a distraction. And before I knew it, from being extremely hungry for God and couldn't wait to spend time with God, it became duty. It became stuff that I didn't do first thing in the day. It didn't, I didn't seek the kingdom first. I didn't seek the presence of God first. It was if I had time left. And slowly but surely, the hunger went. You see, there are sometimes there are distractions that causes us to lose the hunger. It's not like we're evil. It's not like we rebelling against God. It's not like we're walking away from God. But sometimes, just in the busyness of life and being distracted, even with good things, we can be distracted with good things. We can even be distracted by ministry. We can be distracted by the call of God upon our lives. We can be distracted sometimes by our families. Now, I love my family and I love my children. But I must love God more. Because God loves them more. Amen. And we had outpourings of the Spirit. And it would go well. And we would cultivate that hunger. And in times of hunger, there was just... You know, times of hunger, and God satisfies that hunger. It's really easy to be discipled. It's really easy to change. It, feel, it doesn't feel like work. The, the beauty of God is everywhere. And it almost you feel... You feel guilty that sometimes you get a salary at the end of the month for what you're doing. And, but there were seasons where, it, where the hunger increased and there, were see, and, and there were seasons that the hunger decreased. And I got kind of fed up with this roller coaster ride, now hungry, being fed, and 
then losing hunger, and then becoming hungry again, and then being fed again. And one day I ask God, God, thank you for this gift of hunger, but how do I cultivate it? How do I sustain this? How do I become continuously hungry? Because every time I'm hungry, you feed me. Every time I'm hungry, you satisfy me. Every time I desire more of you, and there's a true desire, you come and you satisfy my soul. And you set me on fire. I don't try to be on fire, but whenever I'm hungry, <laughs> ministry just flows. It's, it, it's effortless. And I asked God, God, how do I cultivate hunger? And the Lord said, Jan, you can become hungry in two ways. You can create famine. In a famine, you will eventually become hungry. If you devoid, if you, if you withhold yourself from food, For a long enough period, you will become hungry. The problem with that kind of hunger is that your body becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. And if there's a famine in the land, while you are still surviving through your hunger, many others are dying. So he says that is a legitimate way. It's not a good way, but it is a legitimate way to become hungry. That there is a famine of God's presence. There is a famine of the word that you pull back from time with God. But the thing is you become weaker and weaker. And then God said, I used to be a cyclist. My son now is a cyclist. And he he said, Jan, can you remember when you cycled? I said, yes. He said, how many times were you hungry? I said, God, I was always hungry. I now have a son. He eats, then he snacks, then he eats. Then he snacks, then he eats. Any food that's left in the house is gone. You have to spit in a leftover if you want it. And if you don't tell him, he'll eat that too. And what does it happen? He eats and then he goes and exercises. As soon as he comes back, the first thing, he doesn't say, I really enjoyed my ride. He said, I'm really hungry. Is there food? And the Lord said, Young, that's another way and a more healthy way of sustaining hunger is exercising. And I'm not talking about bodily exercise. I'm talking about exercising, using what the Lord gives you, faithful in the little, using that, exercising your faith, exercising, applying what God gives you, working with not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And I realized that in that process, when you exercise and eat, because when you exercise and get hungry and you eat, what happens to the food? The food makes you strong. The food sustains you. If you only eat with no exercise, what happens then? Then you get what the Song of Solomon The writer says, your stomach is like a heap of wheat. I was thinking, how would that ever be a compliment to a woman? Have you tried that? (laughs) (laughs) So if if you only eat but you don't exercise, you get fat and bloated. Amen? And apathy sets in. So you cultivate hunger, and that's why I'm so excited what the Lord is busy doing here. What the Lord is busy doing here with people going out on the street and what they receive here, they go and 
They go and try out. They go and exercise that. And I want to encourage you, don't just sit and be consumers of sermons, but really what you receive here in this house, go and do it. If you go and do it, the Word of God says, if we are only hearers of the Word in, in the book of James, if we are only hearers of the Word but not doers, we deceive ourselves. It's not the devil deceiving us. It's when we only hear the Word, when we just sit in church and listen to a sermon, but we don't do anything about it, we're actually busy deceiving ourselves. Who likes dece being deceived? The worst kind of deception is when you fool yourself. I mean, it's still okay if someone else deceives you. Then you can say, well, maybe this guy's really, really good at selling stuff. But deceiving yourself is really bad. And so I want to encourage you that even in the little, even in the little, step out and exercise it. Go and do it. I want to tell you when we exercise what we receive, we see the power of God. When we see the power of God, we want to, man, I want to do that again. I want to do that again. And so I want to encourage you to keep on doing the Word of God. Keep on reaching out. Keep on what you receive here, the work of the Spirit, the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. Practice it on one another as much as you can. But also, go out and share this with others. I want to tell you that I'm not the world's greatest going-outer. I said to Stefan the other day, if I would describe myself as a salesman, I would be the guy that works in the bike shop. And when someone comes in and he wants a bike, I will sell him more than he wants. I can really describe the bikes and I, I've got a passion for it. And, but don't tell me, you go and find some clients. Now some of you like that kind of thing. But I realize that even... Stepping outside of that comfort zone, God comes and God honors your obedience. God honors your faith for stepping out. And God starts coming through. God starts coming through. And will you get a couple of rejections? Yep. But you know, the quicker you get them out of the way, the quicker you realize, I didn't die. Get a couple of rejections right, right off the bat. But keep on going. It's one thing, what I also, I want to encourage you, another way of cultivating hunger is spending time with people that are hungry. Spend time with people that are on fire for God. Don't find your other three buddies who's also famished. Don't find your other three buddies that are also, we're not doing this again. No, we're not doing that again. Spend time with people that are hungry. Spend time with people that are on fire for God. With this Power and Love conference with Todd White and Daniel Kalenda and Tom Ruotolo, he's the guy that started Power and Love. You know why I went? It wasn't like I needed another teaching. It wasn't when they taught the Word of God, it opened up and it was fresh revelation. But there was something in their lives. There was something that they did. They went out and, and it encouraged me to no end that here's this guy, Todd White, and you think that he prays for everyone and everyone gets healed. But then he tells about almost a thousand people that he prayed for in the beginning before someone got healed. And I said, God, I want that kind of hunger. I want that kind of hunger that says I'm not going to stop until I see you move. Because you say in your word 
these signs shall follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will cleanse the lepers. They will raise the dead. They will preach the gospel to the poor. They will cast out demons. This is what the word of God promises. I want that kind of hunger that says, God, I'm not going to stop until I see that. And I know, I know that when I start seeing that, I become more hungry. It's not like, oh, yeah, now I've seen the signs, wonders, and miracles. Don't want that anymore. Oh, thank you, Lord. None of your presence, please. This is just too much. Man, I want to tell you that once you've tasted the presence of God, you can't go back to normal. You can't. You try. You try because you've got excuses why you can't and why you didn't and become angry and offended with a lot of stuff. But I want to tell you that you just need to recall. Man, do you remember? I remember speaking to people when I wasn't hungry and we started speaking about the Lakeland outpouring. And we started speaking about the outpouring we had in Wellington. And as we were speaking... This divine discontentment says, God, we can do this again. You can do this again. God, I, I don't want this. I don't want this mediocre Christian life where I go from meeting to meeting, from Sunday to Sunday, drag myself to meetings, drag myself home, and it's all duty and no beauty. God, I can't do this. And I stirred my hunger. I stirred my hunger by spending time with people that have hunger. That's why I, I go to conferences. That's why I go for, to conference because I do believe that this anointing, this hunger is transferable. And when those guys, I don't care, care if they call it a prayer line, a fire tunnel. I didn't see any fire, but they were praying for people and so I'm going. And they, I'm, getting, I'm getting some. <laughs> I want some. I want it. If I can't get it on my own, I'll get someone to pray for it. I've got to get it. And I'm not going to be picky. Oh God, I want it this way. Oh God, I want it that way. Oh God, I want everything that you have, but just don't embarrass me. Don't, don't, don't. Hunger? People that are truly hunger. Have you, seen, have you seen hungry people at a bread table? I want to tell you that we were in Mozambique a couple of years ago with Iris Ministries, and we were, that time Mozambique was the poorest country on the International Monetary Fund's list of countries. Poorest country in the world. We went to Bocaria, which is the, the rubbish dump. This is where the poorest people in the world go and dump the stuff that they don't want. And on this rubbish dump, there are small children. When the trucks come in, they start running. They jump on the trucks and they've got little tins that they scrape out food, rotten food, and put it in a little tin and they go and sit and they eat it. I, I looked at that. I thought, man, you can't eat that. You're going to die now. This is food poisoning instantly. But they were desperate. When we went to, to bring them bread, you know, they don't queue. They don't go, no, you first. No, really, you first. No, you first. They bump. They run. They try to get more than the next person. They've got no dignity. Why? Because they're hungry. They'll get the bread any way they can get it. We feed our hunger by spending time with people that are hungry. We, we look at our lives and we are honest with ourselves and say, has there been a time in my life 
when I was more hungry than now? And why is it less now? I want it more. I want to go from glory to glory. I want God to increase in my life. I want to be faithful in the little, knowing that God's going to give me more. And it's the Spirit. He who gives the word, he gives the Spirit without measure. It's not, uh, maybe you're looking at that testimony and you think, wow, Jan has an amazing testimony. Now, I, I want to tell you, I have a terrible testimony. Because it's all, well, actually it's a wonderful testimony because it's all God. It's nothing, it's, I'm not proud of the way. I'm, I'm very grateful for the way that I was saved. But frankly, if I was God, I would kill myself. I would kill me. So, I don't want to stand here and give a testimony and think, wow, Jan has a great testimony. Are you saved? If you're saved, you have a great testimony because it's the testimony of Jesus. Whether you've always served him, that's even greater. That's even greater. You know, do you know how easy it is to sin? It takes no effort. It's not like I'm really committed to sinning. You know, I, I really want to concentrate today. I want to sin. It's like, I'm really going to try my best. I actually don't want to, but I'm, I'm really going to do it. No, you just have to let go and you'll sin. So to stand firm in a perverse generation and serve Jesus from a young age, man, you're my heroes. Really. But this spirit without measure and this hunger for more of God is for every single one of you. My question is, do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? I'm not going to force anyone to say yes, but I do want, I do want you to ask, to ask yourself, if I say no, why not? Why not? Disappointment? Disillusionment? Excesses in the work of the Spirit? People that have misrepresented God? My question to you is, have you ever seen a bad movie? Who's ever seen a bad movie? Okay. So after that movie, you said, I'm never going to the movies again. Never, ever in my life. This is a bad movie? I'm never, that's the last the cinemas are seeing of me. No, we go again. Why? In the hope of a good movie. So, maybe you've had a couple of bad deals. Maybe you stood in a prayer line and the guy pushed you over. Maybe you knew a person that shook while they were prayed for and then see if the camera was on them. Maybe you did that. Maybe you heard that the guy who prayed for you turned out to be a sleaze. I don't want to shock you now. You don't have to pray for deliverance. Todd Bentley prayed for me. It turned out that when we went to Lakeland, we were on our way to Lakeland, and just as I got on the plane, the Lord said, Jan, if Todd Bentley's not there, will you still go? I said, yes, of course, God. I'm not going for Todd Bentley. I want to see what you're doing in Lakeland. Apparently, you're doing something. You're pouring out your spirit there. The Lord says, yeah, but 
if Todd Bentley falls morally, will you still believe that it's me that did the work? Now, I'm sorry if some of you have got major issues. You can come and speak to me afterwards. I don't send money to Todd Bentley every month. Okay? But I want to tell you that we got there this, this Saturday. They announced Todd Bentley will not be. We were only going for a week. Todd Bentley will not be here for this week. Okay. Saturday night, just before we go, Todd Bentley comes up. Ministers praise me the next day. They say, we're withdrawing him from the outpouring because he fell morally. He was immoral. Yeah, he fell morally. He was immoral. And I had to make a decision. I had to make it. And people asked me, Jan, what did you bring back from Lakeland? I did not bring back a kundalini spirit. I brought back a hunger for God. I saw people that were hungry for God. I saw people that spent thousands of rands, dollars, euros, and pounds to queue from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to get into the tent at 6 o'clock. While they were standing in the queues, they were testifying of what God has done. They were praying for one another. We were worshiping. People were getting healed while people were queuing. When the tent opened up, the band was rehearsing, doing a sound check. The people started worshiping with a sound check. Nobody asked them to worship. When the band said, guys, we're just going to take a break, see you at 7, the guy would come up and try to have a prayer meeting. The people would just spontaneously pray. Nobody led those prayer meetings. By the time that Roy Fields struck the keyboard and said, looks like tonight, the air is heavy, sky is heavy, looks like it's going to rain. Man, God could do anything, not because of the people on the stage, but because of faith and the hunger of the people that were there. People ask me, Jan, why doesn't that happen in Wellington? I said, well, maybe, how do you think it would look like if instead of sneaking in at quarter past nine, you actually came at six and queued just to get a seat. And while you were standing there, you were praying for people. You were testifying how great God is, how expectant you are, how hungry you are, how desperate you are for God. Just imagine you walk in at half past eight and instead of wondering why the band is taking so long, start worshiping. You don't have to be coerced or motivated by the worship leader to worship because you worship because you're hungry. You want more of God. You have an expectation that there's more of God. Just imagine that, you, that the pre-meeting, prayer meeting is not the least attended meeting of the week, but the biggest one of the week. People crying out, not just for themselves, but for others. How about people after the meeting going out on the streets and praying for people? What would our Wellington meetings look like? Revival, that's what. God is looking for hungry people. And you can ask God for the gift of hunger. And when he gives it, I want to encourage you, steward it well. Steward it well. Recall the times that you were more hungry. Spend time with people that are hungry. Exercise, exercise, exercise. You'll become stronger and you'll stay hungry and you'll be able to eat anything. 
Don't become apathetic. Don't become a spectator. Become a participant in what God does. Never come to a meeting think, I'm just going to sit here and spectate. Come to a meeting and say, I want to contribute. I want to exercise. I want to pray for someone. I want to get some anointing. I want to get all that God has for me. And not just once a year. Every meeting. And if you're so full of fire and so full of hunger, spend time with people that are not. and Pray for them. It's going to irritate them at first. I want to tell you that people that are hungry irritate people that are fat and happy. They do. You know why? Because their lifestyle and their hunger convicts your apathy and your inactivity. If they could only be as inactive as you are, you would feel better. So spend time with hungry people and be the hungry guy. Be the hungry person. Be the person that lights a fire. Be the person that says, let's go out. Be that person. Be that person that when the worship leader does, ka-ching, your hands are up. You're crying out for more of God. Be that person. That's how you cultivate hunger. And I want to tell you, Jesus feeds hungry people. Jesus has compassion. And he's moved by compassion for hungry people. When he saw the masses, when he saw the multitude, and he saw that they were hungry, he was moved with compassion. And he didn't say, well, just bless them in Jesus' name. He said, let's give them bread. Let's give them food. Impossible. I want to tell you that if we, if we approach God in hunger, we'll see miracles. If we approach God, if we approach our life in God with hunger and thirst, call it what you want, desperation, hungry, thirsty, desirous, call it what you want to, more of God. People ask me, Jan, but is this now awakening? Is this a revival? Is this more a renewal? Is this more a... It's like, ah! Is this a reformation? No, we already don't ask for revival. We are already in revival. I said, well, if this is revival, it sucks. I've read books. So people ask me, so Jan, what is your... What is your definition of revival? I said, revival, reformation... Renewal, awakening, whatever you call it. I call it exponentially more of God than I'm experiencing at the moment. Exponentially. Not just a little bit. A whole lot more. And I'm not stopping. You see, once you sign up, God, we're waiting you for revival. It's not like, oh, sorry, we're going to do something else now. Then you, you've got to stay the course and be the hungry one. Be the hungry one. God loves hungry people. He responds to them. He's drawn to hunger. 